Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Before we jump in, I just want to let you know there's an exciting announcement at the end of this podcast, so make sure to stay tuned and listen for that. It's all about what you can expect from home study over the next few months. Hey, you want to make a bit of money? You should do what I did, get into farming. This is a clip from a video that my brother-in-law sent me a couple years ago. We were running our farm business, and I was probably whining to him about the fact that, you know, I work so hard on this thing, and I don't make any money. My brother-in-law's got a really funny sense of humor, and like all good brother-in-laws, he'll never miss an opportunity to tease you. So he sent me this video, and I'm going to play it for you. This is the edited version, so just be aware that if you go and find this video on YouTube, there are swears that we edit out of this podcast. It's a foggy morning on some farm that you would imagine maybe somewhere in England. A man steps out of his barn, dressed like a farmer from Downton Abbey. He gets your attention. You want to make a bit of money? You should do what I did. Get into farming. See this? He pulls a wad of money out of his pocket. I got this. Selling corn. Comes out of the ground. I couldn't believe it. Then he wanders over to the chicken run. You see that? It's made of chicken. It's actually made of chicken. You kill it, you got free chicken. You can sell it to people. Or don't kill it, and eggs come out of their eyes. I love this skit because you can hear it in his voice. He's like, you won't believe what I figured out. It couldn't be any easier to make money. You know sheep, bit woolly, it's wool! Pull it off, sell it, grows back again. You cannot lose. <laughs> Brilliant. Don't even need an alarm clock. <sighs> Unbelievable. It's only five in the morning, and I'm right where I work. And while the other struggling in on the tube, I'm going to go and get some milk out of a cow. Look at all this milk. I'm going to make a fortune. <laughs> this is the way I think most of us feel when we first discover homesteading and small farming. Scrolling down our Instagram feed, and we see a picture. 
Maybe it's a beautiful woman and she's holding a chicken in her hands and she's smiling. Or it's some really strong, you know, brawny guy. Red and black checkered flannel. He's got a shovel in one hand. He's wiping the sweat from his brow. He's standing in the middle of a field surrounded by broccoli rob. And he's got that look on his face. You know that look. Like, yep, my broccoli rob is amazing. Beneath the picture is the story. Another long day at the homestead. It's honest, hard work, but it's the way we feed our family. The best quality food we can. I never dreamt I would be a farmer one day, but now I'm making my living doing what I love. Hashtag blessed. And that's when it hits you. You're like, Brilliant. I could grow some corn. Comes out of the ground. And make money doing it. I couldn't believe it. Or I could, you know, raise some chickens and then kill them and get paid for it. Or don't kill it. Grows back again. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. That's the feeling. Like, no matter what you do, money is just going to be pouring into your homestead. And so we get some chickens. We start selling eggs to our friends and family. Next thing you know, we got a pig. We have friends over for cards, and suddenly we're trying to push our bacon on them like we're some Amway salesman, and we have a regular monthly quota to meet. I'm going to make a fortune. But a couple years go by, and you realize you've put way more money into your property than you've ever pulled out of it. What happened? I thought you couldn't lose. The reality of small farming, hobby farming, homesteading, is it is hard to turn it into a profitable enterprise. How do I know? Well, because for one, I've been doing it now for six years, and in all six years, I've yet to see myself make more money on my farm than I do spend money on my farm. And I'm not alone. I've been working on a series to start this new year off. You see, recently over at the Homesteady website, we performed a survey. We surveyed hundreds and hundreds of you fans and asked what your goals were for homesteading. Aaron said, I'd like to eventually retire from trucking to be a goat meat breeder. Sean mentioned raising cattle to supplement his income. Joy wants to start a thriving egg business. Kelly, I want to be like a female Joel Salatin. LOL. She wrote LOL. I'm not laughing at her. I'm laughing with her. The majority of you, I'm talking three out of four, had the goal to start a business from your homestead someday with the idea that it would turn your homestead into a profitable hobby, something that could pay for itself and maybe even someday become a full-time living. I decided I wanted to do a series to help you make this goal more achievable. It's six years since I started my farm dreams. And although my farm is still not profitable, starting that journey has led me to this point where you're officially listening to the very first episode of the Homesteady podcast that I'm producing as a full-time podcaster. I've been able to make a dream more of a reality. Or at least I hope to, with your help over the next three months. We'll see if we can do it. 
Over the next three months, I want you to enjoy this series. Not all of the podcast episodes you hear over the next three months will be part of this series, but if you stick around, you'll hear all 10 episodes where we get into this subject of making money, making your homestead profitable. We'll learn how others are doing it, the problems they're facing trying to make it work, and hopefully, by the end, help you get off to a good start. Because let's be honest, we all want the same thing. It's only five in the morning, and I'm right where I work. Cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteady. The world that we live in is a crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. And we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteading. Today's episode of Homesteady is brought to you by Freight Farms. The people at Freight Farms want to help you grow food anywhere with help from the Leafy Green Machine. The Leafy Green Machine is a fully assembled vertical hydroponic farming system that is built inside a 40-foot shipping container. Now, why would you go building a hydroponic farm in a shipping container? Well, because it means you can grow food anywhere, anytime. Lettuce, herbs, and hardy greens at a commercial scale in any climate or any location. In the middle of a city, in the middle of winter, you could be running your very own farm. The Leafy Green Machine makes it easy for any individual, community, or organization to grow farm fresh produce year round. If you want to learn more about freight farms, first off, listen to the hydroponic episode we did recently on the Homesteady podcast where we shared their story. Then head over to freightfarms.com and learn all about the Leafy Green Machine and what it could do for your farm dreams. Having a hard time getting your farm started? Freight Farms is here to help. They have a very handy business plan startup guide designed to make it easier for you to put together a farm business plan, something I remember doing that was pretty confusing my first time around. Learn more about the Leafy Green Machine and get the farm business plan startup guide all at FreightFarms.com slash homesteady. So tell me, have you ever seen a business fail? <laughs> Yes, I have. <laughs> that's that's a good opener. That's how you should. Open. <laughs> yep. So, Austin, have you breathed air before? <laughs> yes, I have seen businesses fail. I think I've seen I've seen businesses fail in a number of different ways. Some of them fail very quickly. Some of them fail very definitively, and some fail over much slower. Like you know. Like you shot you you shot yourself, but you you kind of missed your heart, and now you're just bleeding out, and you know that sort of thing. So, how you been, man? Good. Um, crazy. Work has been busy. Life has been busy. But you know, things things are going okay. Everything's everything's good. The tax law just changed, like everything about the tax law, which make basically. All the tax planning we've done over the last, like, five years, we pretty much need to throw out and do all over again. But that's okay. 
So I guess <laughs> your advice tonight then won't hold any weight, right? Because you won't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I have read, I will have you know, I have read uh, uh, about 700 pages of the bill. Oh, man, that must be exciting. It's, it's <laughs> You wouldn't believe how incredible it is. No, it's okay. I mean, you know. Details change, but the principles stay the same. So, Which is what we're here to talk about tonight. We're going to talk the principles? about the principles oh. of failing businesses. <laughs> so we haven't done this. It's been a long time since we've done this. We've had you, of course, we always have you on the show to tell us whether or not something gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Sure. This is a special Accountant Mike only episode. Oh, boy. Have we ever done this? How many times have your interview dates canceled before? Yeah, he sees right through my thin veil. <laughs> a special episode. You're special. You're the only <laughs> one who picked up the phone, so I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> Actually, we haven't had you on the show in a couple episodes. We haven't done a breakdown in a while. And uh, so I figured we'd get you. We're about to do yeah. an entire series on homestead business. And in specific, we're going to be talking about side hustles. This series is about people who live on a homestead. They have a regular job. They have a, you know, nine to five or they're married and one of them has a full-time job. They're not a farmer. They're just trying to make money on the side. And this was my stipulation. They had to gross a thousand dollars a year for me to talk to them for this series and that it was their side hustle and if it wasn't their side hustle and they were only grossing a thousand dollars a year then they're dead so we're not talking to them <laughs> okay well i'm glad you defined it i think i have the, the i mean that's a decent idea um yeah. so you've been doing this already talking to people already I have already interviewed about half of the guests, and um, one of the one of the common themes, every one of them, I'm asking. A lot of them listen to our show. A lot of them know your breakdown and how it goes, and a lot of them are just fans of the show. I put out a couple social media posts, and they said, "Oh, I'd love to talk." And one of the common themes is lots of them are not anywhere near profitable. So I wanted to do this episode with you because for all these episodes, we don't need you because they already told me <laughs> I'm not making, I'm not making more than I'm spending. So we don't need a thumbs up or a thumbs down on that. But the reason I wanted to get you in at the beginning of this series, you're kind of the first episode in this series is because obviously in your line of work, every day you deal with people who are running a business and trying to be profitable. And some of them are doing that, and some of them are not. Mm. And I figured, I'm hoping, too, that you probably have worked with people who have side hustles, even maybe people who have their main business and then a side hustle, and really give us your point of view on why do side hustles, and in our circumstance, it would be why do homestead businesses on the side, why does a homestead business, what are the reasons those fail? I'm I'm thinking of Michael in that episode. I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> you can't just say it and make it happen. I declared it. 
Yeah, it's a good uh, episode. So, my first failing business. You ready for this? Let's hear it. Elementary school, man. Oh, no. Pogs were coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Pogs were coming back, and I didn't have... (laughs) This is great. So, I didn't have any Pogs, and all my friends had Pogs, and I wanted to have Pogs. Okay. So I was like, listen, guys, you got some cool pogs there, but what you need is a custom slammer. And they're like, tell me more. (laughs) I was like, well, these slammers you have here, these are running the mill. Anybody can go out and get these slammers, but I can make you a custom slammer. Your initials, you know, Matt is da bomb, spelled D-A, you name it customize this slammer but i'm going to need a down payment first to get your slammers in the works so i got them man they were giving me pogs and i was like great i'm going to take 10 pogs as a down payment and then i'll take another 10 after i deliver that slammer and my idea was i was going to make slammers out of remember that clay that you would um make stuff out of and then put in the oven sculpey (laughs) i think it's called like the brand was sculpey and you could put it in your own oven and it would work so I was going to make uh, slammers out of Sculpey to you know, deliver on my promise, but then I got into some other things and never made them. <laughs> <laughs> so you took the money and never delivered. Pretty Oops. much. <laughs> well, it's a pretty easy way to, for a business to fail. Years later... I started the farm, and since starting the farm business, as you know, because you're a farm accountant, uh, we are far from a profitable farm. And we, like everyone we interview, Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com In this series, the farm is just a side hustle. It is not my main business. And with that comes its own challenges. And that's what I want to get into tonight. Or What are the okay. challenges that are really unique to the side hustle? If we can identify them now... Hopefully by the end of this series, have a really good idea how all those of our fans who are listening can avoid these mistakes of why they actually fail and someday at least be profitable, if not maybe their full-time job. So based off what you see, Accountant Mike, every day looking at failing businesses, what do we need to avoid? Well, hang on. I started a list. Give me just a second. Fancy. So if we're specifically talking about what what Austin calls a side hustle, there's three areas that spring to mind that can lead to a business failing, especially in the early stages. Uh, Let me give you the three of them, and then we can go into a little more detail if you want. So, okay, three things pop to mind. Uh, They're kind of all related, though. First and foremost is really just a failure to plan. Uh, Not only... Before you start your business, but also once your business is in its fledgling stages, when it's just starting to go, 
The two other areas really spring out of that. Uh, one being, I see a lot of businesses, especially really small businesses, start without sufficient capital, right? So they're not really ready to grow, which you need to do. And the second thing that comes out of failing to plan is not understanding how much time is really necessary to get something going, which is a pretty easy trap to fall into because you can easily say, oh, this is just my side thing. It's, I don't need as much time when actually if it's your side thing, you probably need more time. <laughs> when you think about what we're talking about here, we're talking about people doing, you know, selling meat products and vegetables and, you know, hand-woven baskets and custom slammers. And all this is very time. <laughs> I couldn't even not. <laughs> that you have to bake in a kiln. <laughs> all of this is very time consuming. Uh, just, just to plant a garden or raise a pig is time consuming enough. And then marketing and all that other stuff, I mean, which we'll get into. Yeah, for sure, that, that's a major problem. So let's start at the beginning. This one is really true of businesses of any size, especially true of something small on the side. If you don't plan sufficiently before you start business and then right after you've started, you end up wasting a lot of time. You might waste uh, the resources that you have as well. You might waste your initial capital. You might waste your, your effort in getting things going. You might spend a lot of effort pushing in one direction only to realize it's not really the right direction. You might stay on that course for like three years too long before you realize, wow, I really should be doing something different. Um, or there could be a fundamental problem with the business. It could be that you're trying to sell something that there is no market for. Or you might be trying to sell something that you just don't, you're never going to have the margins for because you're not big enough or something like that. If you don't do the sort of market research that's necessary in the beginning stages, and if you don't understand how you're going to fit into the market, you can spin your wheels for years and never go anywhere. It sounds very simple. It's actually a very hard thing to do, and it's critical. Like, before you start in business, or if you've already started and haven't done this, stop and do it now. You've got to plan out roughly what are you going to do, who are your customers going to be, how are you going to do this thing, What's it going to look like? You know, you got to think about all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying you need to write a 50-point plan and you must stick to it at all costs, but you've got to have some general idea of which direction you're going with this thing. When we first started our garden, we just picked the spot that seemed bright and big, and we started the garden there. And... Year after year, we wound up moving the garden because it turned out, oh, I got to put mm. a road in here or, oh, I got to put a water line in here or I need to use this as pasture. So the garden's got to go over there. And a garden is the kind of thing that year after year you want to um, you want the garden to stay in place because the soil gets better. You get more. Uh, you get a higher quality soil if you're gardening the right way, adding amendments year after year. And every year we were moving our garden. And so it makes me think of with this, here's what happens. You get, you know, you get seven chickens and suddenly you have an extra dozen eggs and you're just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to put these on the side of the road and put a for sale sign up. Suddenly someone buys your eggs and you're like, oh, you know, what? let's get twice as many chickens because those eggs are going every week. And now you have twice as many chickens and you, 
you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to put an ad. You know, I'm going to tell my Facebook followers that we have eggs for sale. And before you know it, you're in business and you didn't even plan on it. It just happened. Right. And you're in the egg business, which you should get out of immediately. He remembers. <laughs> he remembers. <laughs> yes, I do. I get, get out of the egg on business. that podcast. I put it up on YouTube. I get comments all the time. People are like, I make a ton of money on eggs. And I'm thinking... Making cash in your no, like you getting don't. cash in the cooler <laughs> and actually being profitable are two different things. Right, right. I have no doubt you sell the eggs and people give you money for that. Fine, no problem. But <laughs> but come on, guys. So what do you suggest yeah. when it comes to planning? You don't need a hundred page business plan. Um, sometimes no. Nope. Sometimes paralysis. Analysis sometimes, paralysis. That's the one. Sometimes analysis paralysis can prevent you from actually ever starting, right? You're so busy writing a business plan that 10 years goes by and you've never started the business. Yeah. What does someone want to do as far as planning goes before they make their first transaction? You are totally correct. You can get analysis paralysis. You can get stuck just trying to figure. Don't do that. Answer some questions like, what am I going to sell? Who am I going to sell it to? How am I going to make the thing that I'm selling? Where am I going to find the people that I'm selling to? Answer those questions. And then have some rough goals so that you know, if I make it to this goal, I can say objectively I've been a success. And also build yourself, you know, some, like, failure points. Like, okay, if this happens, I have failed and I need to stop. Like, you you reach a point where you need to just cut the leg off, right? Like, you got to have something like that in your plan. At what point are you going to say definitively, this has failed, I need to either stop or I need to drastically reinvent the thing. Do that stuff. Don't go too much crazier than that. But if you don't know that, you don't have a business. So if we think about this within the parameters of a homestead side hustle, right? You already have your homestead. Chances are you started a garden or you already have chickens. Sweet. Or you already have a, you know, you've raised a pig. I think the biggest point here, if you're going to plan ahead. Let me think about this for a second before I say it. Okay. That's ironic. <laughs> Let me plan ahead. If it's you're like an going to lesson. plan ahead, <laughs> one must not make things up as <laughs> one is going, but rather with good planning and foresight, one must think carefully. <laughs> I'll give you the plan, and you tell me if it's a good one or a bad one, okay? Oh, I Here like we go. this. This is like, choose your own adventure. <clears throat> I am going to live off my farm and sell things. Sounds end of, familiar. End of plan. <laughs> is, it, is it a good one? How would you rate my plan? That's a pretty bad plan. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's a goal, right? Sure. Like, totally. That's a very vague goal. That's a bad goal. <laughs> it's a good goal, but it's a very bad goal in that you're telling us what you want to do. Sure. Great. 
And that's important for people to know the difference. A goal versus a plan. A goal is I want to raise pigs and sell them to my neighbors. That's your goal. That's where you start. Start with your goal, but then your plan is, and I'm going to do this by raising two pigs, one for myself and one to market. And over the next six months, as I raise this pig, I'm going to try to find four customers to buy a quarter of a pig. And at the end of my growing season, if I don't sell that four full quarters, I have room in my freezer for half of the pig. So at minimum, I have to sell two and I can afford to pay to feed both pigs. So the worst case scenario is I wind up with some extra pork in my freezer. Good plan? Yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. It sounds like you have some nice measurable goals right right there. Um, you're not super detailed, right? But you have a definite like end point to that, which I like. You're going to know in six or eight months. You're going to know if you succeeded or not. If you didn't succeed, you're going to be able to identify why you didn't succeed and fix it for the next time. So, yeah, that was a good one. I like it. And one of the best parts about this homestead business thing is that most of the time, if you don't go too big, the worst case scenario is you have a freezer full of bacon. Yeah. Now, here's what happens when you go too big. People who don't plan ahead and say, I want to live off the land and sell to my neighbors. Hey, I'm going to buy seven pigs. They run out of, well, we'll get to that, but they run out of the money that they're going to need to actually raise the seven. They cannot sell seven. They wind up like, what am I going to do with seven pigs? I don't have the freezer space for them. They have to bring them to the auction where they're sold at way less money than what they put into the pig. And people lose their shirt on their first go round. So that's why, as you said, planning... And with the Homestead Side Hustle Man, starting small and learning what to expect, I always feel is a really good way to know how to plan later. So your first year, raise two pigs and have a really good plan how to sell that first pig. Cool. I like it. So are you saying that we, before we start our homestead, we do we actually need to have a business plan? Because honestly, those things are intimidating. A really big business plan is complicated. And honestly, it's probably more than you need. What I would say is take an evening or two evenings, try to figure out where you're trying to go, trying to go, right? What are your goals? And then turn that into little bite-sized chunks. Like how are you going to do some of these things along the way? Don't go crazy. Don't have huge lofty goals, but you want just some sort of roadmap that you can use to keep you on your path going the direction you want to go. Don't go any crazier than that. How many pages we talking in this business oh, plan? Oh, less than one. Ooh, I like that. So if you can put together, and this is so true for a side hustle on the homestead, if you can put together a one page, hey, my goal at the top, sell one pig. How am I going to market it? Friends, family, email list. Okay. If that doesn't work, Facebook ad. My budget for that Facebook ad, $100. My expected expenses for this pig, $400. What I'm going to ask for it? $800 with expenses, including marketing, I will profit $400 if I sell everything. And if I don't sell anything, I have a freezer ready for all that sweet bacon. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, there you go. That sounds, that sounds great. In 
just a minute, Accountant Mike is going to share with you the second reason why he sees businesses and particularly side businesses fail. But before we get into that, I wanted to let you guys know about an exciting new addition to the Pioneer program. We now are opening up a forum for Pioneers only. Now, I know what you think about online homesteading forums, right? <laughs> They're full of both good and bad. But one of the reasons I wanted to start the Pioneer Forum is because the homesteady pioneers are just great people who, A, want homesteady to continue, so that's a good thing, uh, but B, are people who are really involved in homesteading. They have a lot of experience. Some of them are raising chickens, others cows, others goats, and all of them have some great advice. I know this because over the last few years, I've been talking with them through emails, corresponding with them, and I realized they have so much good knowledge amongst them that each one of them should be sharing with all the rest of them. So we're opening up this Pioneers Only Forum. There are no trolls because what troll's going to pay $5 a month to be a part of an online community? There's only really good people who love homesteading and have lots of advice to share with each other. And in addition to that, there's also some of Homesteady's experts. People that we've had on the show, uh, people like Dave from Northeast Edible, who runs an orchard. We have Jared, the foraging beard. If you have any questions on eating wild edibles, Jared's a great guy to bounce questions off of. He's going to be there in the forum. I'm going to be in there every day. You'll see Alexia, the suburban escapee, and Allison, who helps us produce this show. Accountant Mike is going to be in there answering questions. So this is going to be a really great forum full of not only homesteady experts, uh, but the pioneers who are experts in their different fields. I'm really excited to get to know you and the rest of the pioneers there in the forum, and it is officially open. So if you become a pioneer today, you will be invited to the forum. Stop in and say hi. So I tend to see a lot of businesses who start and they're severely undercapitalized, which really hamstrings them from the beginning. I've got two clients that I'll use it as, as examples, two very different clients. Um, they're in the same industry. Uh, again, again, I don't want to go into too much detail. Same industry. Right. They are a very capital-intensive industry. There's productions that cost a lot of money. There's research and development that costs a lot of money. There's this and that and that, right? Lots of money that's needed, which means lots of investors to get the money from. One of them, and I'll use fake numbers, one of them gathered $100,000 and started going. And eight months later, they were out of the $100,000. They had to go get another $100,000. And then six months later, they had to go get another $100,000 and, you know, on and on and on. And they're stabilized now, but, you know, they're still losing money like crazy. Okay, the second client, instead of doing that, they took five months to figure out how much money they needed, and then they went and got all of it all at the beginning, right? So instead of doing 100000 and then starting, they got 500000 right up front. Same industry, very capital intensive for both of them. The second one is already doing so much better, even though it is a much younger business. Really? Yeah. Because they started with enough money to keep momentum. This reminds me of my second business. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Let's hear it. You know I've always been entrepreneurial, right? I can't help it. 
So this was middle school. Oh, okay. And uh, Pokemon cards were all the rage. <laughs> you remember when? I do, yes. Were you into Pokemon cards? No, I had the uh, I had the Game Boy game, so I was never I could never get into the card game. What? Um, so this is a big. You start your game off right, Pokemon. Yeah. Which of the oh, Pokemon no. would you hold on? On count of three, okay. I want you to wait, say. Wait. Think about which we're one. Talk, we're talking about the original 150, so right? The original, right? You started with Charmander, right? Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. Or Squirtle. That's it. <laughs> I remember him. Because <laughs> in the TV show, is a, he always sounded so funny when he said his name. Okay, so ready? On three, say which one you would start at. Okay. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Bulbasaur. Charmander. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Nobody's Squirtle. No. <laughs> <laughs> So my strategy with that was your first Pokemon, like, oh, I was so mean to the first one. I basically just kept him long enough to, like, get me going. Like, that one was just my jump start to get into mm-hmm. the game. And then, like, you know, two hours in, I'm done with him. I'm never using him again. You know oh, what I mean? Man. Yeah. So you, you raised the capital you needed from Bulbasaur, but by the time you turned to Ivysaur, you're like, dude, this is getting awkward. No, and no, I'm no, allergic no. to was... poison ivy. <laughs> He was like my little money maker, so I could, so I could hire some, hire some big guns, you know. So I, I saw all these kids who had the Pokemon cards, but like, so Charlie wanted Charizard. Uh-huh. The alliteration is just perfect. Yeah. And Benny wanted Ivysaur, but they didn't know that either of them had that because uh-huh. they were not extroverts. They were nerds, and they were like, "I have a Charizard. I have no friends, but I have a Charizard." Good. So I was an extrovert, and I was, like, friends with all the nerds. So I was like, whoa, Benny's got the Charizard, but he wants the Ivysaur. Charlie wants the, the, other, the one. other one. Yep. So I became a Pokemon Middle card man. broker, man. <laughs> I never owned one in my life, but I'd hook up the deals between the two and skim a little bit off the top. You what, know would how you, the brokers what would you skim? <laughs> What would you skim in that scenario? Money. Like, the... I would <laughs> I would get people to pay money. Like, oh, you want that Charizard? I can hook you up. It's going to cost you six bucks. Really, it only costs like three bucks, but I take my cut. There you, you know? go. Hustler for life. Nice. So <laughs> when we're not dealing with when we're not dealing with playing cards, um, and honestly, most of these side hustles, nobody's going to venture capital to start a you know six pigs on their farm. No, but this is good. How does someone get the funding they need for their homestead side business? At this sort of scale, we're probably talking a pretty small capital investment. So this might be the case where. Maybe you just spend six months saving and you can build your own capital buffer. Or it's a small enough thing that you can go ask mom and dad or your friends for a loan or something like that. Um, Taking a loan from family is one thing, right? It feels like, hey, I'm in a down position and I need to borrow money from you. Sure. You put a little marketing spin on this. (laughs) 
there's something called a CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. And the whole idea behind the CSA is, listen, I know how to raise pigs. I've already done it. Here's proof of concept. Last year, I raised two pigs and try this bacon. Isn't it amazing? Next year, I'm going to raise four of them. And you now can give me a deposit cool. for a quarter of a pig. And then halfway through the growing season, I'm going to take another 25%. So uh, half up front for a deposit, then 25%. Then I'm going to bring it to the butcher and ask you for the final 25%. And even, believe it or not, people actually sign up for this because I sell it every year. I tell people... My down payment is, you know, for a pig, my down payment is, you know, $500 for the pig. The second payment and the final payment is somewhere between $250 and $350, depending on the finishing weight and mm. final cost of production, uh, butcher fees, etc. Okay. I give, I give them a, the most it's ever been is this. And the least it's ever been is that. And these are not my exact numbers. I'm just like yeah. telling you off the yeah, top of yeah. my head. Um, but that way, I get people to fund my farm enterprises without asking for a loan, which feels like, you know, asking for a loan is like, hey, I need a favor, especially to friends and family. Uh, asking for a deposit is a business transaction. Hey, give me a deposit. You'll get your pig held. And... And, you know, fall time at butcher time, I'll need my final payment. Yeah. And uh, I mean, at this scale, something like that absolutely works. So don't stress too much about it. I guess the, the point I'd want to drive home for this sort of scale of business is before you can do any of this, you need to understand how much you're actually going to need in order to make this stuff happen. That's an awesome bit of advice. And yeah. the way that they can do that is the very first year they do anything on the homestead, Dear Lord, don't make it a business. <laughs> if you want to raise two pigs, do it. And if you're like, you know, if your mom wants to buy half of a pig, say, sure, mom, I'll let you know what it costs when I'm done with it. But the first year, just raise it for yourself and take very good records of all the expenses. Yep. Over the years, we've done plenty of breakdowns, Accountant Mike. What are some of the expenses they might forget to take note of that they need to remember? Uh, well, there's some obvious stuff like feed. You're not going to forget that one. But uh, we've been talking about pigs a lot. Let's switch to chickens. You need somewhere to keep your chickens. So what's that going to cost you? Um, you're going to have some chickens die. So are there going to be any expenses involved in that? Um, you're going to need to you, – you might have a lot of chickens die. depends, you know, because of bear. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. 
If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> there it is. I was waiting for it. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to livestock, I mean, there's not a ton else, right? Like, you're not really going to take out insurance on these chickens or anything like that. But how much – pay attention not to how much you spent on feed dollars, but, like, how much feed was it? So if the price of feed changes, you can figure that out for next year. That's a good point. Um, keeping track of how much you go through, not just what you actually paid. So might, someone might say, oh, I, I raised 50 meat birds and it cost me, you know, $500. Instead, say I raised 50 meat birds and I had to put, you know, 40 pounds of feed right. into those birds. Whatever. Again, these are fake numbers. Sure. But I, I use this much feed and a good Google spreadsheet can keep track of that. Oh yeah. Um, one of the big ones we talk about a lot, and I think this is where I get all this. You know, all these people on YouTube are like, "Oh, dude, I make tons of money with chickens. You're such an idiot. I make money on eggs every year." Uh, people don't amortize the cost of that infrastructure. That chicken coop you bought for a thousand dollars is going to break down over you know ten years or fifteen years. The water lines, the electricity you ran, the electricity to take care of the birds, whatever it is, you need to consider all those little bits because that's where you go from, oh, you know what? It, I, I spent this much on feed. Well, you also spent a lot more money on other things. Sure. Keep track of all those things. And if you, the first year you do it, if you just do it for your own family and maybe your mom and dad or something, keep good, close track of those numbers. The beautiful part about that is then you can scale very easily. Yeah. The first year I raised two pigs. I kept really good records. I know you know me, dude. I'm not like, you know, Mr. Not, Spreadsheet. Not good at records. But I am. When it comes to my farm business, when it comes to my bit when it comes to business, my best friend is an accountant. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, despite my nature, my nature is just to, you know, go have fun and deal some Pokemon cards and, and make quick buck. But I know I need, if I'm going to run this business and keep running it, you know, 10 years from now, I need to know my numbers. Mm. And so despite not naturally being a guy who likes to fill out a spreadsheet, I always do it and I know exactly I know I can tell you right now what it cost me to raise a pig off the top of my head because every year I've kept track of those numbers. Good. So how much does it cost? Dang it, I hope you weren't going to ask. <laughs> off of the okay. bottom of my head with the memo, I can... <laughs> so, ready for this? Yeah. 350 in feed. Another 100 for the feeder pig itself. There's going to be probably 10 bales of hay... Okay. into each pig just for bedding and that sort of thing they're five bucks a bale and then butcher fees which generally a full-size pig costs somewhere around 450 to 600 dollars to butcher okay so i charge for a full hot you know a full pig order 1200 bucks okay. which means i profit approximately 250 dollars actually i probably 
I, sorry, no, I charge fourteen hundred. I've changed Aha, prices. Four hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> that sounds better. My goal every year is to profit like a third on my pigs. Okay. So cool. Butcher fees. So if it's fourteen, is that a third? That's a little less than a third. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. That's what my what I'm shooting for. And if I sell half a pig, I charge a little bit more because then I got to go marketing another half of a pig. Right. So that's give you. I mean, you know me, dude. I'm not a numbers guy, but right off the top of my head. I know those numbers because six years in a row I've been doing it. And some of you guys listening right now are like, you charge what for a pig? But we live in Connecticut. Feed is expensive. Butcher fees are expensive. Everything is more expensive in Connecticut. So that's one of the biggest good, one of the best takeaways here is you cannot base your numbers off some blogger in Idaho or my podcast here in Connecticut. You have got to raise your own pigs and track your own numbers because you, some of you right now are watching are like, I spend $100 on feed and nobody is ever going to pay me $1,400 for a pig. But guys, I sell whole pigs and half pigs every year at those prices here in Connecticut where everything costs way more money than it should. So get your own numbers. Don't go off my numbers because if you live in Ohio and you're trying to sell a pig for $1,400, you're probably going to get laughed right out of the pig pen. I do like that you pick a, a, a new random state to pick on each time. We So far, right. we've gone through Idaho, Ohio, which is kind of, you know. <laughs> just going next up, who, who are we going at next? Come on, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Wait for it. We've talked about not planning ahead. Uh -huh. We've talked about not capitalizing. This third one is really big for side hustles. And that is... Not planning ahead with your time. Yeah, this is a big one. I see this is not just homesteady type things. I see this with a lot of little side businesses. Side businesses take a lot of time. Did I ever tell you about my third business? No, let me hear it. Okay. This is fun. So now we're in high school. Baseball cards. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. This one, I solved the capital problem. I solved the planning problem. Uh, this one was all about timing, right? So I, I never bought lunch. Did you buy lunch at school or did you pack lunch? Um... I bought. I think I was buying lunch. By you were a hot lunch kid. Came around. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom didn't love you. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> she probably will listen to this episode. Get mad at me. I very rarely bought lunch. I, when I did get sent with money to buy lunch, I would buy cookies. <laughs> we had a half hour at lunch, right? And you know, always a hustler. I got to make a quick buck. So I would bring. My mom would make these burritos, bean burritos, which were delicious. And she would always send me with two of them. But I was like, you know, not super hungry at lunchtime because I'd already bought a bunch of cookies <laughs> with my extra cash. And so I always had that out of the two burritos, I always had a spare. Oh. So I... <laughs> this is before eBay. I would auction off <laughs> the burrito. <laughs> yes. 
And I knew, like, I got lunch period. Everybody's hungry. They got their hot lunch money. They like the burritos. They love these burritos. And I had an extra one. So I would sit at the table and I'd be like, all right, guys, $3. We're starting at $3. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and guys were like, no, $3.50. I got $3.50. I got $3.75. $4. And I'll give you my two chocolate chip cookies. Oh, man, that is tempting. I do love cookies. $5. Uh, okay, we got $5. Can you throw in an extra cookie? All right, sold. $5 and a chocolate chip cookie. That is... <laughs> Wait a minute. So I've yet to hear a problem with this thing yet, though. No, it was flawless. It was beautiful. beautiful. And the, except, okay, ready? Here's the problem. Here's where it all fell apart. So Your mom stopped sending you with two burritos. She no, sent worse. You with one burrito. Oh, worse. No. Ready for this? Worse. She found out I was gluten free burritos. <laughs> yes, that's always the worst. Gluten free. <laughs> so she found out I was doing this. <laughs> And so she made a whole basket and said, Austin, these are for your friends. Don't you dare sell them. <laughs> she flooded the market with free burritos. She ruined your scarcity, man. That was it. You were That's done. That's it. Scarcity is Also, vital. your mom sent you with two burritos every day? Every day. Like, were these small burritos or big? No, they were good-sized burritos. They were like the big tortilla filled with rice, beans, chicken. They were good. Yikes. They were delicious, and okay. man, and I did not cut her in on any, in case any of you were listening or wondering, I cut mom in on none of that profit. That was all. <laughs> Spent on cookies. Or Pokemon, Pokemon cards. cards. Yep. <laughs> so, lesson number three. <laughs> Timing. Yes. Go for it. It's so much more time than you are anticipating. Even if it's a small business, you still have to do everything that a big business does. You just have to do less of it. You still are probably going to need to do some marketing. You're going to need to figure out how to sell. You're going to need to figure out how to deal with that transaction. You're going to need to spend time getting your product ready and you know ensuring that all that quote-unquote manufacturing process goes well you're going to need to have quality control like you have to do everything that a bigger business does and all of that stuff takes time so it's not something where you can say oh, i'm going to work my normal full-time job and then you know i'll spend an hour a week raising this chicken right like it's a whole bunch of time and I think a lot of people start these little side businesses thinking they're going to be so easy. And then soon, three weeks in, two months in, they're like, wow, this is a lot more time than I anticipated. And one of the biggest traps with the homestead is scaling. Imagine you have like two raised beds. And way back in episode one, we talked about raised beds. You can do a couple raised beds. Uh, they're really low maintenance. You can, you know, do a good heavy mulch, take care of the plants. And you're thinking, boy, I threw out a bunch of tomatoes. I threw about out a bunch of zucchini. I should do a vegetable CSA because I'm great at growing th these two raised beds. I'm doing great with. If I just built 12 of these things, I could have a market garden. And that's where... When you are just growing a tomato to pluck and bring inside, slice and put on a burger, converting that to a business means, okay, well now you still have to grow the tomato, 
and then pluck it. But then you need to make sure that it's timed so that you pluck it within enough time where you can get it to your consumer before it rots. So now you need to make sure you're marketing to people every week. So now you have all this like, well, I got to, you know, Facebook people or Instagram or something to let people know, hey, tomatoes are ready. And then, you know, so-and-so says, hey, I want my tomato. Yeah, I'll take some tomatoes, but I can't get them until next week. Well, can you keep them alive until next week? Or if not, can you pluck them and then like, you know, put them in the refrigerator now you're moving product and trying to keep it alive. And then the following week, another, you know, you're getting a big harvest all at once. Everything is ready. So you got to pick everything. And then again, now you have to move everything. So instead of just plucking and putting it on your plate, you have this whole supply chain and marketing and delivering and having a happy customer takes way longer than plucking a tomato, slicing it up and putting it on a hamburger bun for your burger that night. And so the timing element, you cannot base what you're doing. The point I'm trying to make is you cannot base what you're doing on your homestead for your own family as the amount of time that's going to be required to actually run the business. Yeah, I see that. Absolutely. And homesteading is a time heavy endeavor. I mean, everything takes a long time. You can't you know, raise animals or raise plants without investing a lot of time it's not you know you're not selling a digital product you're not selling a product that's being manufactured in a you know shop somewhere and you're just the guy running the marketing for the product you're you're going out and you're doing the work and then you're finding the customers and doing the marketing and getting the deliveries made or the pickups pickups man people want to show up to your farm and like tour your farm and see all your animals and then pay you like $3 because they bought some fat back from your pig. I'm not kidding. Your customers want your time. They want to suck up that time. They think, oh, I bought some lard from you, so now give me a tour of your farm for the next hour. Hmm. And in you know the words of a very famous internet meme, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so Accountant Mike, you have seen businesses fail, and you have seen them fail you know, flourish. What's your parting advice to us homestead, budding homestead entrepreneurs? Hmm. I would say start with a flexible plan. Try to stick to your flexible plan and grow slow. You cannot get into too much trouble doing a homestead side hustle if you go slow. If, if your first, first year, year you raise two pigs, pigs and then your next year you raise four, the worst case scenario is you have a freezer full of bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, like, off the top of your head, do you have, off your, I guess your gut, how many side hustles succeed into becoming full-time businesses? That's hard to say. Not super often, but I think a lot of people who are doing something little on the side are totally content with it just forever being a little something on the side, you know? Um as far as someone who starts something on the side that eventually becomes their full-time thing, I feel like my gut tells me it's less than one in five, less than 20%. But I don't know how many of those other four are just fine with it. Like, you know, it's a little thing they do on the weekends or whatever. Honestly, I think most people 
we have this moment when we start homesteading and we start making a little bit of money from it. We think, oh man, I should do this full time. But then a year or two goes by and you realize how much harder it is when you start scaling. Yeah. And I think most of us after a year or two are like, whoa, actually I have fun raising six pigs, but I do not want to raise 26 pigs. So I'm going to keep it my side hustle. Ready for the next question? Sure. How many people have you seen start a side hustle that later go on to maybe start a new business that becomes their main work? Oh, more. Um, maybe almost half. Maybe 40 to 50%. That's where I think the Homestead Side Hustle is a great way to teach you some fundamentals in business. But then you realize those fundamentals could be better applied elsewhere as far as paying your bills. And you go on to do something. That's what happened with me. I started the farm first. Then I did the marketing business. And now trying for the content thing. We'll see. Talk about planning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Count Mike, this has been fun as usual, and uh, we've had a great time having you on this episode. We probably, uh, we're getting into tax season here, and you're working on a big project, I know, which we'll talk about in the future. Uh, so we probably won't see as much of you over the next couple months. Um, but thank you for taking the time to do this episode. Uh, Want to wish, any well wishes for our budding entrepreneurs? I... Yes, I wish you well. (laughs) That was great. There you go. There you have it, guys. Captain Mike wishes wishes you well. well. And uh, (laughs) all right, guys. guys, Thanks thanks for for listening. listening. Uh, Uh, We're gonna let Captain Mike go because it's getting late, and he's got to go study his new tax code. So, Captain Mike, thanks for your time, man. No problem. See you, man. Did you enjoy that episode with Captain Mike? He's got some great advice. If you'd like to pick his brain about your own farm, your own farm money questions, uh, we have Accountant Mike in the Pioneers Only Forum. So if you become a pioneer, you can join us. You get access to our private forum where I'm in there every day, and there's a special thread, Ask Accountant Mike. Submit your questions, and Accountant Mike chooses different questions to be answered every week that will help both you and all the pioneers who are with us in the pioneers only forum. We just launched a forum and we would love to have you join us. It's five bucks a month to be a pioneer. You get access to the forum as well as all the other bonus content, classes, discounts, check out the pioneers program. You can learn more about that. Thanks guys. It helps us do this show. We cannot do it without you. And if you can't become a pioneer, but you still want to help us do the show, consider doing your Amazon shopping through the amsteady.com link. Just type in Amsteady in your browser and it will forward you to Amazon. We'll get an affiliate link for sending you there and it helps us to produce this show. Homestead businesses are a lot of fun. And if you avoid these challenges, you might find that in a few years, you actually have a profitable farm. And in a few more, maybe you're self-employed completely. So don't forget Mike's three points. Make sure to plan ahead. Be sure that you have enough money to do what you want and be realistic about how much time that's going to take. If you keep his advice in mind, no doubt you'll be well on your way to running a homestead business empire. If you can't remember all the points that Mike made by the time you get home, head over to thisishomestudy.com and check out the blog post recap. 
Alexia the Suburban Escapee does a fantastic write-up of each episode, and she adds in her own stories and point of view, so it's not just a repeat of what you already heard. You can check that out at thisishomesteady.com. Special thanks to Allison Holly for her help in producing Homesteady. Homesteady is produced by my wife, Kay, and myself. I'm Aust, and I'm Homesteady. And if you are too, be sure to tag all your social media posts. I am Homesteady. And let us know how you feel. And until next time, remember, the road is rocky. Make Homesteady. There it is, guys. The very first episode of the Homesteady podcast that I'm producing as a full-time content creator. So just wanted to remind you, because this is a pretty big moment in home study history, over the next three months, we are attempting to make this it, my full-time job. And what does that mean for you? You don't care what I do for work, right? For you, it means two episodes of the Home Study Podcast, high-quality episodes, editing like you expect from us, Really, you know, the best quality shows we can produce, but two of them every month. That means the first Monday of every month and the third Monday of every month. Expect to have the Homesteady podcast ready to listen in your ears. And if you're following us over on YouTube, it means right now, for the next three months, a daily video every day of the week. It's a little bit insane. We can only do it with your support. So thank you for that and enjoy.